there's a moment you realize you're ready for what's next in your career. Maybe it's when you're trying a new scone recipe and think, I could open a cafe. Or maybe you're helping a coworker and say, I could teach a course on this. Whatever your moment is, it's never too early to plan for a career that lives longer. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. For skills training, resume tips, and job listings, visit aarp.org work. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty. This week, I have a quick and dirty tip about weird team names and a meaty middle about saying your piece. But first, I have some listener comments on two segments from last week. In the segment on why people say warsh instead of wash, Neil Whitman wrote that he'd never actually heard anyone say garsh as might be expected from people who say warsh. And I hadn't either, but multiple listeners posted about relatives who do indeed say both warsh and garsh. For example, Esta said she would often hear warsh and gorsh growing up in western Pennsylvania. Grant from Ohio says his stepfather always said both warsh and gorsh. I'm not sure whether his stepfather was also from Ohio. And Matt and Brad both have relatives from Nebraska who say warsh and gorsh. And then, regarding the saying about getting all up in someone's grill from the two spellings of grill last week, a couple of people posted that they didn't think I got the definition right when I said it meant to question people aggressively or to snoop into their life. Since it's slang, it can be hard to find all the nuances of what it means. But I did fail to mention that grills are also metal or jeweled decorations people get on their teeth. So to get up in someone's grill could also mean to physically get in their face. But besides reading Urban Dictionary and language forums, I also searched the Corpus of Contemporary American English, and the only two quotations I found that used the phrase, in my grill, used it in a way that implied people were meddling in someone's business, not that they were physically in someone's face. For example, here's a quotation from an Engadget article titled The Panic and Pleasure of Online Dating as a Woman in Her Forties. Quote, I had time, and if someone wanted to get up in my grill about having kids eventually, well, my mom had me when she was 38 and I turned out mostly okay. Unquote. And here's a quotation from a book called The Heat Seekers. Quote, I also knew she would go into her mother figure mode and get all in my grill about stuff. Unquote. So although I do think I should have mentioned the tooth aspect of the word grill, and it's true that being up in someone's grill can also mean aggressively getting in someone's face, it's also true that it can mean meddling in someone's business or aggressively questioning people about their lives. Strangely, the grill that refers to teeth seems to most often be spelled without the E, even though the trend that decorative grills are spelled with an E would imply that it should also be spelled with an E. All I can say is that English isn't logical. 
It's funny, too, because Merriam-Webster includes the definition, quote, a set of metallic covers for the teeth, unquote, under the G-R-I-L-L-E spelling, but then notes that it's usually spelled grill without the E. I've never seen that before, where they list the definition under one spelling, but then say the other spelling that doesn't include the definition is more common. So that was interesting. Thanks for all the feedback this week. I appreciate it. And now, on to team names. I just heard that the Utah Jazz and the Oklahoma City Thunder are facing off in the basketball playoffs this year. So it's a good time to answer a question about odd team names like this. Are names such as the Jazz and the Thunder singular or plural? Most team names are plural, such as the Lakers and the Timberwolves and both the Associated Press and the Chicago Manual of Style recommend treating all team names as plural, even when they sound singular. So if you're following AP or Chicago style, you'd write that the Jazz are in the playoffs and the Thunder are in the playoffs. If that sounds too weird to you, you can always use the city or state name instead of the team name, because cities and states take a singular verb. So instead of saying the Jazz are in the playoffs, you could say Utah is in the playoffs, just as you'd say Los Angeles is in the playoffs and Minnesota is in the playoffs. British English is slightly different. For example, the Style Guide for the Guardian recommends the plural verb when you refer to team names, whether it's by name or by city. So a Guardian writer in the UK would say that Los Angeles are in the playoffs. My alma mater, the Stanford Cardinal, used to be an exception in American English. The Associated Press style book used to treat Cardinal as singular, even though it treats names such as jazz, magic, and heat as plural. But more recent updates include Cardinal in the list of singular-sounding team names that are treated as plural. So that's your quick and dirty tip. Treat team names as plural, even if they sound singular. Next, we're going to talk about the right word to use in a common expression to say your piece. This came up recently in the workplace of our guest writer, Samantha Enslin. Sam assures us that she never fights with her coworkers, but one day she was having a teeny disagreement with her colleague Maggie via chat. Sam stated her point, Maggie stated hers, and then Maggie wrote, I've said my piece, P-E-A-C-E. Sam chatted back, I think you mean I've said my piece, P-I-E-C-E. Now the fight was really on. What's interesting, Sam discovered, is that both women were right. There are two expressions. One uses piece with an E-A, and the other uses piece with an I-E. But their meanings are very different. The first expression is to speak one's piece, or to say one's piece, spelled P-I-E-C-E. This means to say what you think and then announce that you've done so. For example, if you were arguing with a friend over the merits of Star Trek versus Star Wars, you might explain your point and then say, I've said my piece. In other words, you've said everything you have to say on the subject. Now it's up to your friend to make her own decision. The word piece in this expression alludes to a memorized poem or speech, the kind you might have made in elementary school. It first appeared in print in the early 1800s. This phrase calls to mind the expression to give someone a piece of your mind, but the two are unrelated. The latter one dates back to the 1500s. 
and the piece here simply means a portion. Note that the portion of the mind in this phrase is always negative. You only give someone a piece of your mind when you're angry and ready to share some fierce criticism. The second expression is to hold one's peace, or to keep one's peace, spelled P-E-A-C-E. This is the near opposite of the previous phrase. It means to keep quiet. For example, if your friend insisted that Star Wars was superior and you were tired of arguing about it, you might hold your peace and simply say, you're right. You've probably heard this expression in traditional Christian wedding ceremonies. The person officiating usually says something like this, Into this union, these two people now come to be joined. If anyone can show just cause why they may not be lawfully wed, speak now or forever hold your peace. In other words, if you have a problem with these two getting married, now's the time to say it. Hold your peace was first seen in writing in 1250, but a variation of this phrase, to hold one's tongue, goes back much further. The first recorded use was in a book called Gregory's Pastoral Care, which was written by Pope Gregory I around the year 590 and translated into Old English by King Alfred the Great in 897. Let's take a moment to say that Alfred was a pretty cool guy. He was king of the Wessex region at the time the Vikings were raiding England. As part of their onslaught, the Vikings regularly destroyed monasteries in all of the books within them. At the time, monasteries were not only religious centers, but also centers of learning, somewhat like the Maester Citadel in Game of Thrones. Alfred saw that this destruction was eating away at literacy and learning. In his introduction to pastoral care, he wrote that, quote, so general was Latin's decay in England that there were very few on this side of the Humber who could understand their rituals in English or translate a letter from Latin into English. So few that I cannot remember a single one south of the Thames when I came to the throne, unquote. Alfred was not one to hold his tongue, and in response, he began to translate books from Latin into Anglo-Saxon, also known as Old English, and he recruited a group of scholars to help him. He chose books he thought it, quote, most needful for men to know, and to bring it to pass, if we have the peace, that all the youth now in England may be devoted to learning, unquote. In short, Alfred was an early proponent of translating important texts from Latin into English so they could be understood by a broader range of people. As a side note, this seems like a simple idea, but in the United States, the Catholic Mass was spoken in Latin all the way up to 1964. Okay, after a couple small detours, we'll wrap up this segment. We talked about two phrases, say your piece with an I-E and hold your piece with an E-A. The first means to say what you think. The second means to keep your opinion to yourself. That segment was written by Samantha Enslin, who runs Dragonfly Editorial. You can find her at dragonflyeditorial.com or on Twitter as dragonflyedit. Finally, I have a shout-out to Mary Beth Jordan's 6th, 7th, and 8th grade classes at St. Catherine's School in West Dundee, Illinois. She says they listen to the podcast every week and would love to have me say hello. So hello, and thanks for listening. I looked at pictures of your city online, and it looks really cute. And thank you to Lego Brian for the nice review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. 
You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube as Grammar Girl. And if you'd like an ad-free version of the podcast, easy access to the entire Grammar Girl podcast archive. That's about 600 shows and a monthly bonus Grammar Girl podcast. We just joined Stitcher Premium where you can get all those things plus a bunch of other ad-free podcasts from other great producers. You can sign up for a 30-day free trial at stitcherpremium.com grammar and use the offer code grammar. That's all. Thanks for listening. There's a moment you realize you're ready for what's next in your career. Maybe it's when you're trying a new scone recipe and think, I could open a cafe. Or maybe you're helping a coworker and say, I could teach a course on this. Whatever your moment is, it's never too early to plan for a career that lives longer. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. For skills training, resume tips, and job listings, visit aarp.org work. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.